and welcome to Podcast 28. I have a little story to share with you. A number of years ago, one of my children got lost in a supermarket. You've probably had that moment yourself. And he wisely went to the help desk and asked them if they could help him to find his mum. And then they asked for a description of me. At which point, among other things, my son said, she's got grey hair. So when I responded to the announcement and then I came to the help desk, I clearly didn't fit the description. Thanks to L'Oreal, who I have financially supported for the last 30 years, I have curly brown hair. So a little interrogation ensued before they were satisfied that it was my child and that I could have him back. And after we left, I said, why did you describe me as having grey hair? And he said, because they asked me what the colour of your hair is. And you said, we should always tell the truth. (laughs) Fair play. I love it. It's true. We do like our children to tell the truth, don't we? Well, most of the time. But in our parenting journey, I think we're actually led to believe some quite common lies, some little cultural messages that we imbibe and take on board as truth. So I'm going to do some truth busting today over three common lies that I think we're told. The first one is about lies themselves. So lie number one, shall we call it? Lie number one, white lies are harmless. When my friend was a child and the ice cream truck went by, her mum used to tell her, it plays that tune when it runs out of ice cream. And here are a few other white lies that parents have admitted to. One parent said, at night I tell my three-year-old that the sun won't come back up if he doesn't go to sleep. Another said, when my daughter was three, I used to tell her that the park had closing hours. (laughs) I sympathise. Um, Here's another one. Sorry, kids, we can't watch anything. The iPad's broken. How about we've run out of biscuits? And of course, all the little lies that we heap upon our children to tell them what will happen to them if they don't eat their vegetables or the food that we've put in front of them. But joking aside, there are a few things that break connection as much as dishonesty. In fact, among the parents that I regularly speak to, one of the hardest things to resolve is when a child is lying. Deceit. And as much as we'd love to kid ourselves that they're learning that at school, it is possible that they're learning it at home. It's so tempting just to alter the truth by one degree, isn't it? A sort of calculated shift, if you like, either to our children or in front of them. Those little altered truths that we give, maybe about being late, um, I had a flat tyre, oh, I'll say I didn't know that was today, the traffic was bad, tell them I'm busy. I'm really sorry if this is making you squirm, it's not my intention. My intention is bigger than that. It's to flag up something so it doesn't come back and bite you on the bum in a few short years. I've seen it so often, I'm going back and going, hey, watch out for this one. Don't go that way. And the common reason given for white lies is that they're protecting the other person. Or I didn't want to tell her, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Avoiding conflict. However, I've yet to meet someone who wishes people would lie to them, to protect them or to avoid conflict. 
I mean, how many of you out there wish that politicians would twist the truth just a little bit more, please? Let's face it, when we're lying, we're probably protecting ourselves. Because it does take courage to tell the truth, and sometimes it's time-consuming to go the truth route. But if you can look your child in the face and say, I won't lie to you, and I won't lie for you, and follow through, you'll be their greatest role model for integrity, their greatest antidote to deceit. You'll actually be investing in their self-esteem because you know shame is linked to the shifting sands of untruth. If someone lies in front of you, you know they're capable of lying to you. It's hard to live in those shifting sands. It's hard to trust someone that you've watched say a barefaced lie. So if we make our homes safe places to make mistakes, to go wrong, to own our mistakes, our children will be able to face the truth. They won't lose their self-confidence when they have to admit a wrongdoing. You know, in this place, we really will reap what we sow. So the next time you're tempted to make a little calculated shift, try the truth and see if anyone dies from it. And maybe have a few one-liners at the ready for those moments when you can't quite face the truth. For example, when you want to keep something from your child, maybe for a good reason, you can say, Look, I'd love to tell you that, darling, but it will ruin a surprise. Or I'd love to tell you that, but actually I'm going to wait until you're a little bit older. Yes, there are some biscuits left, but I'm saving those for tomorrow. And then stand back and allow them to have their disappointment. Or how about, I hope you won't think less of me, but I'm going to tell you what actually happened. You build relationship in those spaces because you're building trust. Beware the tongue. It's in a wet place and it might slip. Our children's integrity is modelled on us and it flourishes in a culture of acceptance and freedom to go wrong and in the presence of people who dare to speak truth. Have courage. Lie number two. Jealousy is a bad emotion. Jealous is one of those vilified words, isn't it? It often gets lumped together with the word just. They're just jealous. He's just jealous. Oh, she's just jealous. And it comes with that nasty taste and that look of someone who's just eaten a lemon. But here's the thing. Jealousy is a valid emotion. I bet we've all experienced jealousy. But when it carries such a stigma, it's very difficult to admit. And it's hard to help our children to work through jealousy if it's considered to be so ugly. Nobody wants to attach themselves to something that's deemed to be ugly. How do you process something if you're not allowed to experience it? And what if that jealousy is actually justified? What if a teacher or a parent has shown favouritism? Would it be so wrong of a child to feel put out, to feel jealous? And what about when it isn't justified, it can still be valid? What if somebody has something that your child would love to have? Some fabulous new shoes, an amazing ability at something, a pony. What if your child was just having a moment of, I so wish that was me? 
How does a child deal with these emotions if the emotions are labelled or if the child perceives a label on them for having them? And if we're put off by that openness, we can quickly say things like, well, we can't afford one of those and that's that. Or we try and give you everything that you need. Or darling, you might not be as good as them at that, but you're brilliant at that. Or we give you so much, why are you complaining? Or you're better off without one of those. You really don't need that. Not everyone can have one of those. All of those things that we give them because we want to dull down that emotion, that raw disappointment. But the reality is we all need to deal with the fact that some people will have some things that we won't. It could be physical attributes, sporting abilities, friendship groups and possessions. If we don't want their disappointment to turn into resentment, bitterness or grudge-bearing, we need to be a safe place for them to express it. And the best way to do that is to respond with empathy. It's so tempting to steer them away from that ugly emotion, but actually we need to lean into it. We need to hear their heart, even if it doesn't feel very palatable. And say words like, yeah, I get that. That must feel so disappointing. I'm sorry you haven't got one of those. I'm sorry we can't get one of those. Tell me what you're thinking. How can I help you through this? Understand that not having or achieving something is hard. It's a natural human emotion to feel that disappointment. You can talk about how it makes them feel and find out where it causes them to lack self-esteem, where it's attached to their esteem. I am what I do. I am what I have. We can't disconnect those places if we don't acknowledge that they can exist. Try to stand back and just listen without advising. Try not to reassure. You know, there aren't many reassurances that will take that jealousy away. There's a lot that you can say that might squash it down, but there's little that you can say that will make them feel good about it. But being heard and understood in that vulnerable emotion will help your child to process their feelings and to come to terms with whatever it is that they're lacking. It helps them to move the emotion from their fight or flight centre to their frontal lobe where they can freely engage with it and process to a better place. Find their own acceptance. Emotions don't get processed when they're pushed down. Denigrating jealousy or labelling it will cause them to store it in a place of shame. But if you accept their jealousy they're more likely to face it, process it and accept their disappointment. It's a great strength to send them off into life with because there will be many people out there who have more, who do more and who achieve more. We know that from our own experiences, don't we? And if our children can learn to stay confident when they're faced with other people's experiences and successes and attributes and possessions, then they will flourish and they will actually be able to celebrate other people's successes and achievements. And that's a great space for friendship to develop. 
I'm just interrupting this podcast for a moment to say if you're enjoying The Courageous Mama, I think you'll love the book Parenting for Life. This is what readers have to say. This book is absolute gold dust. I bought this book to give away, but I'm keeping it. This book has so many helpful suggestions for the modern family, and it's helpful for our marriage too. This book is a must in every home. If I was able to buy just one book on parenting, this would be the book. Parenting for Life is available to listeners at a special rate on the Courageous Mama website and blog. www.thecourageousmama.com There's a link in the show notes. Lie number three. We're here to protect our children from adversity. A happy child is a joy on so many different levels, not least because it makes our lives easier, doesn't it? But I'm interested to see that for all the extra investment we're putting to our children these days, for the extra amount that they're given, the amount they're helped, the amount they're excused from, we don't seem to be raising the levels of happiness among our children. In fact, statistics say quite the opposite. They're more medicated with higher incidences of depression than at any other time in history. Perhaps we need to be taking a longer term view than today's happiness. What we're preparing them for is just as important as what they're feeling today. If we're in this for the long haul, which hopefully we are, we need to be thinking long term past their present happiness and comfort and looking out towards what will make them stronger and more peaceful and content with themselves in the longer term. Through their 20s, their 30s, their 40s and beyond. Is it possible that struggle, challenge and adversity are actually going to be additive? Before you lose heart, I'm not suggesting that we don't want any happiness that comes their way. I'm not a killjoy. But I am an advocate of building resilience, coping skills. And for that, we need to stand back when they fail and allow them to clean up their mess. To hold back when they've forgotten their obligations and allow them to walk in the consequences. A couple of years ago, my child, along with a whole group of children, were given a day's isolation for a misdemeanour at school. I was a little bit confused by the communication about whether this isolation was to be in school or at home. And in the case of the latter, I wanted to just make sure there were some jobs lined up and some work that he had to do. So when I called the relevant teacher, the teacher immediately asked, would I like him to go through the formal complaints procedure? And I said, no, um, I was just looking for some clarity on what the day entailed. Oh, he said, completely relieved. And he went on to explain, I've been inundated with calls from parents complaining about the punishment. In fact, the day of isolation was so contravened by parents taking their children to the cinema and letting them get together for a social that they had to redo that day in school. And my poor lad got two days, one of them mowing the lawn and working here and the other one in school when they redid the day, poor chap. Teachers may not always get it right, but they are contending for our children's character rather than their comfort and sometimes allowing them to walk out the discomfort, even if we don't entirely agree with it. We are then contending for their character too. Allowing them to experience discomfort 
and disappointment and loving them through their frustration and mess-ups rather than running to their rescue will build character. Much more so than running their items into school because they've forgotten them, cancelling things that they're underprepared for, writing to teachers to excuse them from their obligations, letting them drift from people that they've let down because it's just too hard to face them or say sorry, allowing them to avoid boring or dull obligations, clean their rooms for them instead of expecting them to do them themselves, doing their chores for them, make their packed lunch when they're well capable of making their own. If we make it our goal to clear the path ahead of them like a snowplough, or clear up the path behind them, and put their needs above all those around them, we'll actually be raising weak children, dare I say, selfish children, who will in time become adults of the same ilk. And they're much harder to form relationships with, aren't they? Sure, in the short term, they might make the sports team, eat healthy lunches, get their homework in on time, drop people who challenge or frustrate them and lead happier short-term lives. But will they have formed character, built confidence, learned through experience, forged strong friendships through surviving disappointment? How will they learn perseverance and selflessness? How will they learn loyalty? Self-esteem is not built through always being right. It's built through knowing that you're loved and accepted even when you mess up and go wrong. If we're aimed at their short-term happiness, we'll probably get it, a fleeting taste of it. But it could come at the cost of their longer-term well-being. So those are the three lies that I think we get served up that I wanted to steer you away from. I do hope they weren't too hard to hear. Some strong love, perhaps, instead of soft love today. But the sort of advice that invests in parents for the longer term, so that they in turn can invest in their children for the longer term. In short, if we want to raise a child with integrity, avoid even the tiniest deceit. Lean in to their ugliest feelings and they will learn to accept themselves. Don't always stand up for them, but always stand with them. Those are the truths. Do pop across to my blog. I've done a precy of today's talk so that you can have it in text as well as in audio. If you've enjoyed this podcast, pop across and have a look at the book. The link's in the show notes. Also, you might be interested to know that Madeline sees parents privately to chat through parenting issues. Contact her on the email address in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you there. See you next week.